When I was living in Athens, there was a high school student I knew, and he was at home one night, and he was asleep. In the middle of the night, the AC heating unit attached to his wall caught fire, and that woke him up. And as he woke up, he saw his room being engulfed in flames. And he had very little time to essentially decide what's the most important thing for me to grab on my way out of the house. This is a student uh, that had, at least at the time, a really impressive DVD collection. And this wasn't 15 years ago. It's just cool like that. But he had to leave the DVDs aside so he could go and wake up his family. He had to make a split decision and he decided his family was more important than the DVDs. And so he grabbed his family and woke them up in the middle of the night and they ran outside escaping with their lives and the entire house and all of their possessions turned to ash. This is a week where it really does feel like our nation and everything feels like it's on fire. Everything feels so chaotic. And so looking at the Bible and considering what the gospel says to us can, can seem like unimportant or less important. I feel like there are very critical things going on right now. So why are we talking about Jesus, someone who lived 2,000 years ago? What we see in Mark is the reality that the gospel is the most important thing. It's the one thing that in the middle of fire, in the middle of chaos, we should grab hold of. And what Mark tells us is that the gospel wakes us up to reality. It wakes us up to who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. And that's what we need to grab hold of now every single week, every single moment, especially this week. So let's read together Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. There's a commercial that's been going around this week. I think it was released this week. And it basically describes in part how complicated the election process is, but also how available they want it to be, and it is for people. I mean, it shows people in different situations of life, in different parts of the country, and it's encouraging every single person, get out and vote. It's a great message, and it's, it's telling people wherever you live, no matter what your, your health status is, you can send in your vote. You can get out and vote. Again, it's a really good message. I mean, it shows people riding a bike to get to a polling place. It shows people sending in an absentee ballot. And in, in many ways, it's sending out a message of just how important voting is. But the tagline at the end of the commercial is, go vote, 
It's the most important thing you can do. The most important thing you can do. Is it? Is it the most important thing you can do? Is going out and voting the the thing that if you didn't do it this week, that that has the heaviest consequences for your life, for your eternal destiny, for your value as a person, for your moral upstandingness? Jesus speaks into this, and he does say that it is not the most important thing that you can do. Hot take. Voting is profoundly important. It's incredibly important, but it's not the most important thing you can do. There's an overemphasis on the importance of voting, but there's also an overemphasis on the importance, which the Bible would call idolatry, of so many commands, so many things. The you must, you must do this to be morally good. You must do this to be, to be valuable or for your life to be, to be weighty and full. There's an overemphasis on so many things because Jesus tells us there is one thing, one thing in two parts that is the most important thing that you can do. So the question from Mark 12 is this for us to consider tonight. What is the most important thing you can do? What is the most important thing you can do? And Jesus answers it in two parts. Love God and love others. Love God And love others. So first, what's the most important thing you can do? Love God. In this passage, we walk into the middle of an argument, and so does this one scribe, which is really a religious expert, an expert on the Old Testament. And we see here that he, he comes up and he hears all these other religious Bible experts, and they're arguing over some really important things, but also some kind of obscure things. And what the scribe does, he cuts right to the chase with Jesus, and he asks him in verse 28, which commandment is the most important of all? What is the most important you must? And Jesus answers him first by quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. You can look in verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So a couple of components to the answer here. And the first is that the Lord is one. There is one God who has made all things. He's given you and he's given me all life and breath and everything. He's given you your heart and your mind and your soul and all of your strength, your gifts, everything that you have, he's given to you. And so the other component You must love him with everything he has given you. You must respond to him by honoring him for who he is, for adoring him for who he is with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, which is to say with every bit of you, every drop, you must love him. That is the most important thing. Well, Jesus is really is saying here, what what the scripture, the Bible is telling us here, is that there's connection. It's because of who God is and who he has made us to be that loving him is the most essential part of who we are. What's the most human thing that you can do to love God this way? 
with every bit of yourself. And so it's, the answer is obvious. What's the most important commandment? Of course, it's to love God this way. And it's obvious that to put anything else in the place of God is like hitting a self-destruct button. But that doesn't mean that we treat it as obvious. There's that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where the Guardians are trying to defeat another Marvel villain who's trying to destroy the galaxy, all galaxies. And so Rocket, the raccoon, he builds this explosive and they need to take it to this critical point. But the only way to get there is through these small tunnels. And so they have to send baby Groot through the tunnels. And so he gives them the explosive and he points out, I mean, there's two buttons. And the first one needs to take it. He says, you know, you have to take it to this place and you need to press this button because that will set off the timer so that we'll have a chance to escape before everything explodes. If you, press, if you press this button, it will immediately explode and all of us will die. And he explains it super clearly. But Baby Groot's relationship with instructions is basically like mine. I always like blank out at the most important point. And we're like, you, did you hear that? I'm like, yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. And then I like, you know, drive my car like down a hill into mud and get stuck or something like that. But <laughs> oldie but a goodie. So he keeps explaining it and he says, okay, what did I just say? What, which button are you going to push? And Baby Groot continues to point to the self-destruct button. It's obvious what he's supposed to do, but he keeps moving towards self-destruct. And this is a lot like our relationship with the greatest commandment. To love anything but God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength is to neglect the most essential part of who you are. It's like hitting the self-destruct button, but we keep doing it. Every single person continues to do it. Which explains, in many ways, why I mean, an area that is so good, our love, is often the place that leads us into the greatest self-harm and self-destruction. That when we pour all of ourselves, our hearts, into our work, our schoolwork, or, or our careers, that it often leads us into obsession and anxiety and it destroys our health. When we pour all of ourselves into the pursuit of a romantic relationship, we often do this at the neglect of other friendships. We destroy other friendships in the pursuit of the thing that we love more than anything. I mean, this also explains why you can sum up so much of human misery as a love disorder, that we put other things in the place of God. So in many ways, I mean, in the midst of a very important conversations this week politically, the most important question should be, are we loving God the way he deserves, the way that we're made to? But do we talk about that? Not too often. And it, so it's not just that we fail to obey the greatest command. It's that we basically just ignore it. How often are we considering that this is the weightiest of commands for us for everyone. So why do we ignore it? I think one reason that we ignore considering the greatest command and we put an over-focus on other commands that we think that voting can become the most important thing is that it's a way of distracting ourselves from the reality that this is the greatest command in order to justify ourselves. Because if what makes me a, a good, upstanding person is the way I vote, that's manageable. I can manage my own moral standing. If the way I can define myself is in opposition to another group of people, I can manage that. I could justify myself. 
And so I ignore the greater command. I mean, so much of the over-focus on the you musts connected to success. Like, I must achieve, I must get this career, I must be this successful is a way of distracting ourselves from our failure to obey the greater command. Because if I really look at the greatest command, then maybe the balance of my life shows that I haven't lived so full. Um, All the things that I've been pursuing, maybe in the end, they're really actually not as meaningful as I think that they are, or as weighty as I think that they are. I mean, so much of my own moral posturing, where I say things or I post things, that, that, and I want other people to see them, it really can be a way of distracting myself from seeing the truth that what I have earned is condemnation. And my own fear of what that may mean. Will I, in the end, be alone and unloved and not approved? And so I distract myself. But if, if this is the case, that all of us, we, we, we basically, we continue to fail and all of us, as a consequence, ignore this, then why would God even ask for it? Why would God, God even ask for our greatest love? Well, the Bible does tell us that it's because God is consistently out to glorify himself in the language of the Bible, which means God is the most worthy of love. He is in himself perfect love. And so to not demand our perfect love, our, our best love, would be to deny who he is. But it's also because God wants your integrity and your flourishing. You will never have fullness and wholeness until you find it in concert with your greatest love belonging to God. Your heart will never rest until it finds its rest in him. It's God's kindness that brings about this command. And it's his kindness that would rephrase this as a question for us to consider. Do you love God? Do you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? It's the most important thing. That's the first part of it. There's a a second command that's intimately linked to the first, and it's this. Love others. What's the most important thing? Love God and also love others. So Jesus gives the scribe another greatest commandment in verse 31. He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So there's a connection between love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What is, what's the relationship here? Well, well, first, I mean, we need to recognize that love others is subordinate. It's underneath love God. Love God is still the most important And still, they're intimately connected. How do you know that you love God as he commands? If you love your neighbor as yourself. They are intimately connected. Part of loving God with all of your heart is to love your neighbor appropriately from the heart. Who is your neighbor? This calls over to another lesson story called a parable that Jesus gives that's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, it teaches us that our neighbor is anyone. Our neighbor is anyone, but especially those who are in need. Especially those who aren't in the like some gain category or people that have a lot to offer you. People that have connections or you know, who are fun to be around. It's especially the people who aren't in that category. 
It's anyone, but it's also especially your enemies, people who oppose you, people on the other side of the political aisle. These are the people you are to love as yourself. And what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, it doesn't say love your neighbor more than yourself or hate yourself and love your neighbor. It doesn't say treat your neighbor with respect and treat yourself like dirt. He says love your neighbor as yourself, which means love your neighbor in the way that you want to be loved, that we all want to be loved. Care for others in the way that you want to be cared for. Just to be careful here, I mean, obviously there are like preferences that we all have. I may have a preference that I want all of you to call me Captain Rob of the SSRUF, but that doesn't mean that I have to call all of you that. The, the point is that there is a basic way that each one of us wants to be cared for. I mean, what would be a day in the life if people treated you the way that you want to be treated? What if throughout the day, people, they listened to you, they asked you good questions when you spoke, they made sure that they understood you, and then they didn't go off and misrepresent you? That if there was something that they had against you, they brought that to you first, and they didn't talk about you when you weren't around unless it was to speak well of you. What, what if a day was like that? How, how amazing would that be? Well, Jesus is saying this is how we are to care for one another. And not just one another, but anyone, and especially the needy, and especially your enemy. Well, how does the scribe answer Jesus? I mean, he basically gasses up Jesus' answer, and he talks back to him with an amen. And he says to him there in verse 32, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. These commands, love God and love others, they are so much weightier than the whole law, system of laws about sacrifices and offerings that are laid out in the Old Testament. These are so much weightier than all of those, which were incredibly important. What did Jesus say to him in verse 34? He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And this, this can mean that Jesus sees this man's heart and he sees that he is, his heart is, is good soil. That he is, he's getting something that's very crucial. But he, Jesus may also be just looking at this man's words and saying, Your words are so true that it's basically as close to the kingdom of God as words themselves can get. That's how true they are. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the weightiest things. But so often, again, we don't view loving your neighbor as yourself as the weightier matter. I mean, we picture someone who's very rich, like an oil baron. Or to put it like in a contemporary setting, a celebrity, a movie star. This is a person, imagine a person with a lot of money. They've got a lot of influence. And they give so much of their money. Maybe they even give 50% or more of their millions, billions of dollars away to great causes. That provide good scholarships. That provide better education. Better community development. Many good things. And they promote causes that are, that are worthy of promotion. And when they give these things, they get their name written large in papers. 
written large all over social media. And you know, the net effect of, of this person's life and their philanthropy is that a lot of good things happen because of it. But imagine this person's heart when they give the money, when they promote these things, is fairly, basically indifferent to the people they're serving. And not only that, I mean, the communities that they, they, pro- they promote and are serving they actually look down upon internally, in their heart, in their minds. Now imagine someone who works a very obscure job in some obscure part of the country, works long hours, and she makes very little money. And you know what little money that, that she makes, she saves well, and then she gives what she can to her community, to her church. She, she gives to other friends around her, and those that she works with and those that she, she uh, serves in her work. She treats with respect and dignity, and she prays for them, and she treats them with love, even if they treat her as invisible, or even if they don't respond to her, considering her as very important of their time. And this person, when eventually she dies, she dies obscure and essentially not remembered, unlike the celebrity. The world would take the celebrity and weigh this man's life and say, this is, that was a good life. Look at all that he accomplished. All the good that came out of his life, which is true. And they would essentially not look at the woman. What Jesus is saying here is that this man, yes, with all of the good that came out of his life, was wasted. It's an empty life because he lacked love. And the woman who died in obscurity lived full, lived a life that was weighty. This is what Jesus is telling us. It's it's a hard truth. The, the, The measure of your life is not what you know or who you know or even what you do, but it's how you love. That's the measure of your life. That's the measure of my life. It's how you love. But we don't like this kind of talk. And why don't we like it? One, because it makes me accountable for the way that I treat people on the other side, people in the opposition, people that I see as backwards or small-minded or against the grain of what I want to see happen in the world. But it also makes me responsible not just for my actions, but for the state of my heart. It makes me responsible for something that basically is unmanageable. The implications of this is that if I say I love God, the implications for us as Christians, if I say I love God and I do not love my neighbor, then my love is empty. If I pick and I choose my neighbors, I pick and choose those that I will will treat with dignity and with, with honor, then my love is empty. And so my life is empty. And if I don't have love for others, then I have nothing. And so again, it's, it's God's kindness that confronts us with this question. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love others? Appropriately with your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength under God. The answer for me is no. It's no, I don't. I fail at this so consistently. But why is Jesus leading us to this place? Why is he leading us in this passage to a place where we have to say, I do not obey the greatest commandments. I think Jesus is bringing us to a place where we actually get to see most clearly his love for us. When I put my son Robert to bed at night, 
often, you know, I'll, I'll put them in bed and I, I tuck them in and as I'm trying basically to like moonwalk out of the room slowly and, and subtly. And I, I, I tuck them in and I say, I love you, Robert. And then often what I'll say to me is, I want some water. <laughs> and it's not, which makes it sound like I don't give them water. I'm like, water's for the week. No, it's like, we've like, you just had like a gallon of water. You just had a gallon of water. And he's like, yeah, I put him to bed. And he says, I want some water. Right after I say, I love you, buddy. And it happens basically every single night. And so actually I go get him water and I bring it back to him. And he takes it like a non-existent sip and he puts it back. I don't know why he does that, <laughs> but I'll let you know when I find out. But in that moment, I mean, as, I'm, as imperfect of a dad as I am, it doesn't stop me from tucking him in. It doesn't stop me from telling him that I love him. It actually doesn't stop me from getting him water every time that he asks for it every night. God's love for us is not dependent on how we love him. How we love him is dependent on how he has loved us. God is infinitely patient with us. And when he gives us these commands, love me and love others, he knows that we have failed and will continue to fail. And yet he continues to pour out perfect love toward us. And he does this through Jesus. The one who loved God, his father, perfectly. The one who loved his enemies perfectly and died for his enemies at the cross. Us. This is the one who has come to give us perfect love, both at the cross, but also now and forever. Yes, we continue to fail. I continue to fail, but God continues to shower us with perfect love, all of his heart. So what is it that's going to change us to allow us to love God and to love others? It's his love. That he loves us so that we would love him back with the love that changes us. That we would love our neighbor with the love that changes us. And it begins at a place of need, of knowing, God, I have not loved, I have not obeyed the way you have commanded me. And in that place, you get to see his grace, his mercy, his kindness poured out infinitely for you, so freely, so that you would receive it and it would begin to change you and grow new love. That's the most important thing. This week, many important things. This election is very important. But what's the most important thing for you to know? Is that Jesus came into this world to love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you love us so perfectly. Thank you that you know our, our hearts and our minds, our souls and our strength are very weak. But you love weak people like me. So Lord, I pray that we would uh, receive this love so that it would begin to grow um, new love in us, new affections for you and for our neighbor. We ask this in your name. Amen.